Father, we pray that you'd help us this morning to hear the voice of the Spirit. Father, we pray that you'd help the speaker to share your thoughts and not his own thoughts. And Father, we pray that our hearts would be open to what the Spirit would say. Father, we pray that you'd give us wisdom and that you'd give us understanding. Father, that you would reveal to us those things which you would speak into our hearts today. Father, we thank you that you've already been speaking into this service today. And Father, we ask that you continue to do that through your word. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. So, I said last week that we're going to begin a series on uh, spiritual warfare and looking at the spiritual armor, and that's what we're going to do. And uh, it starts by realizing that we are actually in a battle. My presentation seems to have disappeared, Sophie. I don't know if you can... There we go. Cool. So I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through to 12. It's entitled, in my Bible, The Armor of God. And uh, we're going to read that together. And over the next wee while, we're going to begin to open up this particular passage of Scripture and the bit that follows about spiritual armor and really open these things up. And I'll explain more about that in just a little minute. But let's read, let's read together God's Word. It says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. I think I should have that up on the the screen as well. The full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. You know, I'm pretty sure we're all familiar with the struggles between good and evil, light and darkness, honesty and corruption, justice justice and oppression, and so on. We're all familiar with that. We've grown up in a world that's full of it. In fact, it's even reflected in some of my uh, favorite films, uh, the epic struggle between good and evil. And uh, it's the theme of so many of uh, my favorite movies, um, Dark Lords and... You know the type of films I'm talking about, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. I don't watch dodgy films, David. Um, I'm actually finding these days that my mind is less and less able to deal with stuff that I I don't like that upsets me, so I I don't watch scary stuff at all these days. Um, But some of you might think Lord of the Rings is scary, that's another story. But it all goes back to what we read about in the Bible in Genesis. Genesis, we read about beginnings, we read about what the, the, the world was supposed to be like. And along comes Satan and tempts Eve as Adam stands by. And things just go wrong in that moment. And this is what Genesis 3.5 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And it's talking about Jesus. It's saying that he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You know, as we were praying this morning, uh, knowing that this is what we're going to be talking about, what we, uh, we were remembering is that God is all-powerful. God is omnipotent. The devil is not. He's a created being. Uh, he is not omnipresent. He does not know everything. And he certainly doesn't have all power. And this verse says that he, Jesus, will crush his head, will crush Satan's head, so that, that we, we know that we have a defeated enemy. What is happening to my words today? Gee whiz, 
Sorry. We have a defeated enemy today. And I've been thinking about this series of messages for a while. And I think this is the right time to bring them into the life of the church. Because we've been thinking about the vision of the church. We've been thinking about moving forward as a church. And we're in the process of moving forward as a church. And so it's just the right time for spiritual forces of evil to get among us and to frustrate the church from its God-given purpose. If there's a time when the devil is going to strike, it'll be not when you're down, because you're already down and he doesn't need to do anything, okay? It's when you're going, yes, let's get excited about something. Let's get excited about what God can do. And along he comes and gives you a wee uppercut. And we're not aware of it all the time. I've been in church all my life. I've been in this church for 27 years. And I've seen it happen time and time again, where we're on the cusp of moving forward and something happens. And we often expect the attacks to come from outside the church. But let me say that more often than not, they come from inside the church. Attacks come from inside the church as well. And the result is division. Instead of being alert and prayerful, we let our guard down and we get distracted. And uh, I mentioned, I think, last week, Ray Stokes, who uh, is a friend of the church, speaks in the church, and he said this in his message in March 2013. But in the rising of the Spirit and the movement of God, the thing that keeps us from going into conflict with one another and warfare is that we begin to understand that whenever God leads us as a people, He leads us for a purpose, not to scatter us, but to solidify us and to keep us walking under authority and walking together to accomplish the purposes of God, which is to build his house so that he can come and dwell in the midst. It's all about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his church. It's about him coming and inhabiting his church, inhabiting the praises of his people. And Ray went on to say this is a very simple message and a simple equation in God and this, is, this stuck with me at the time, but, as, but we as the people of God have the ability to mess it up every single time. And I think it's so true. And I remember when Ray shared that, these words resonating within me and thinking, yep, I get this. I've seen this happen time and time again. Sophie, could you maybe do me a favor and flick my presentation up again? Because I, I must be doing something with this that's making it disappear. Uh, if we could go into slide six. Keep going. And, uh, I think it's the next one. That's it. There we go. So I'll just give you a wee nod and we can advance the slides, okay? Ephesians chapter six, verse 12. This is what it says. We need to listen to this. This is the New Living Translation I'm going to read from. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers in this dark world, and against the spirits in the heavenly places. Next slide, please. Paul uses this Greek term, pali. When he talks about wrestling, when he talks about fighting, he's using a Greek word. He's using, drawn on a Greek uh, analogy. It's a type of wrestling that was uh, only done, uh, that was done in, uh, uh, in Greece. And this is the only time this word is used 
at all in the Bible. It's, it's used in the New Testament, and this is the only time it's used. And it talks about a conflict when one person is pitted against another. Now, this wrestling is depicted on the graphic that you can see in the screen. Two men, two Greek men, wrestling, and as most Greek sports happened, they, they happened when the, the athletes were naked. What a place to be. <laughs> I find it all a bit weird, I have to say. And wrestling was probably the most popular sport of the ancient Greeks. Young men belonging to palestras or wrestling schools as the focal point of their social life. And illustrations of wrestling on Greek vases and coins are common through all periods of ancient Greece. But all that can be told from it is that the style was loose wrestling and that the wrestlers, as did all Greek athletes, competed naked. And Paul uses this analogy to describe what he's talking about here. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Think about that picture that's on the screen there. It's very, very graphic, isn't it? You're wrestling against flesh and blood. You're wrestling against another person. But you're also wrestling in a way in which you're unprotected. Now, when they wrestled at this, they would have somebody standing with a big stick. Okay, so that if somebody broke the rules, they'd get a whack over the whatever with the stick. Okay? So there were certain holds that weren't allowed in this type of wrestling. I'll leave it to your imagination, gentlemen. It's a very, very graphic image that Paul's using here. And what he's saying is that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against other people, but against what is behind that. Evil rulers, authorities of this unseen world, evil spirits, all these things, we wrestle against them. And it's interesting that Paul uses this type of analogy, a very graphic analogy. We're not wrestling against other people, but against spiritual forces. This is what the Bible says, and it's, it's a, a commentator's translation. Uh, slide 8, please, Sophie. Finally, be constant constantly strengthened in the Lord and the active ability to produce the results of the might that is inherent in him. We need to recognize that we're not wrestling like a Greek wrestler, left to ourselves and to our own devices, left unprotected. But we are strengthened in the Lord and in his active ability to produce the results of his might that is inherent in him. We're encouraged to be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. How often, how often do we attempt to solve things in our own reason, with our own wisdom and our own understanding, rather than being strengthened in the Lord and in His mighty power? It says that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. And I ask myself the question, why does Paul say that? Because surely it's really obvious that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Isn't that really obvious in the context of the passage? You're allowed to agree, disagree? I think it's quite obvious. So why does he say that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood? Is it to help us not to blame people? Is it to help us to see what is behind everyday circumstances? You know, I think when it talks about flesh and blood, it's talking about people here. 
It's not talking about our old nature. It's not talking about the sinful nature, which the Bible refers to as the flesh. It's talking about people, flesh and blood people. And the conclusion that I came to is the reason that Paul says this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, is that very often, if not most times, spiritual attacks present themselves through other people. Very often, they present themselves through other people. And I was thinking about the sources of this opposition. Slide 10, please, Sophie. The source of the opposition can come from two different types of people. It can come from saints, and it can come from sinners. And when I say that, I'm being quite blunt and simplistic. There are people who know and love Jesus, and people who don't know Jesus and don't know if they love him yet. Let's keep praying for those people in category B. And opposition can come from within the church. Opposition can come from people in the church. The saints can oppose the will and the work of God. This is what William Gurnall says in his commentary on this passage. Slide 11, please. Many a sharp conflict there have been betwixt saint and saint old language. So this isn't somebody writing just now on this subject. This is an old book. Scuffling in the dark through misunderstanding of truth and each other. How insightful is that? Many a sharp conflict has arisen between saint and saint, and we scuffle about in the dark through misunderstanding. Misunderstanding of the truth and misunderstanding of each other. Isn't that how it actually is? You know, sometimes it's very easy to judge another Christian and say that they shouldn't be doing this. And I've been on the receiving end of that, but I've also been on the giving end of that, judging other people. And maybe not understanding that that person has not got to a place of understanding in that area of life yet. And my job is not to judge, but to encourage and to share the Word of God in that situation. We can lack understanding about each other. And we'll maybe think a wee bit more about that. I always say to people when we're in conflict, that there's your version, and then there's my version, and then there's the truth. (laughs) Always somewhere in the middle there's the truth. And it's very easy to get caught up and to judge. And so the Bible encourages us to be slow to speak and quick to listen. Slide 12, please, Sophie. Jack Hayford says in his commentary, the warfare of the believer is not against human resistance, but against spiritual powers. Our demonic adversary divides sincere brethren, causes stress in families, misdirects the believer's attention, and tempts people to sin and eventual bondage. Again, I think a very insightful comment on what we're reading about here. Maybe you're not convinced so far that opposition can come from within the church. And I would argue that we look at Scripture and look at some examples in there. The disciples arguing amongst themselves who would be the greatest. Oh, no, no, I'm I'm the greatest because I'm closer to Jesus than you are. 
And Jesus told me this wee secret that you don't know. Oh, no, 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 but I've done such and such and this, that, and the next thing. Arguing over who would be the greatest. None. They didn't know what they were talking about. And then Jesus, when he's talking about what was going to happen to him, he was talking about his crucifixion to the disciples. He was talking about all that would happen. And, and Peter opposes Jesus and says, no, it can't be like that. And Jesus says to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. He doesn't speak to Peter. He speaks to what is behind but it comes through a person. It comes through the mouth of Peter. And then think about some of the scuffles in the early church. For example, between Paul and Barnabas in relation to Mark. Young Mark, whether they would take this guy on a missions trip with him or not. And then Paul and Peter in relation to accepting the Gentiles into the church, non-Jews. The Bible's full of examples of saying opposing saint of scuffles and skirmishes that shouldn't be meant for each other, they should be meant for the devil, they should be meant for prayer and using the spiritual armour that is provided. The example that I want to draw on this morning is found in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 12. And this is the one that I want to focus on because I think in it I see uh, some truths and some principles that we can learn from Slide 13, please, Sophie. I think we're already on it. And it's entitled, Miriam and Aaron Oppose Moses. Miriam is his sister. Aaron is his brother. So it really is a flesh and blood debate in this one. And listen to what it says. Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite, that is an Ethiopian has the Lord only uh, spoken only through Moses, they asked. You've got to ask yourself where that question came from. It sounds a lot like, did God really say? Did God really say that you die when you eat the fruit? Where it all started? Back in the garden? Hasn't he also spoken through us? And the Lord heard this. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them came out. Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, and he stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. And when both of them stepped forward, he said, listen to my words. When a prophet of the Lord is among you, I reveal myself to him in visions. I speak to him in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I will speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Incredible passage. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Verse 9 says the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he left them. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, there stood Miriam, leprous like snow. Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had leprosy. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, do not hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Verse 13. So Moses cried out to the Lord, O God, please heal her. 
The Lord replied to Moses, if, the father, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. And so Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. I think it's interesting that this halts the process of the people of God. This situation halts the process of the people of God moving forward. And I don't know about you, but as you read it, I think, you know, it sounds really severe. God's judgment in the situation sounds severe. But I think we need to learn from this about God's displeasure over what happened. God's displeasure over what he was hearing through Miriam and Aaron. And I want to pause to look at some of the things that are in this passage. Firstly, observe that it's his own family. It's Moses' own family. And that there are two people, two people involved. I think slide 14. Uh, Sophie, please. Aaron and Miriam. And isn't it often the way that there are two people involved? Rather than do as we should do, we begin to talk amongst ourselves. You can't have a conversation with yourself. If you do, <laughs> if you do, you're in trouble. Okay? Two people, maybe more. Okay? But in this instance, there was two people, and they began, click again, please, please Sophie, uh, they began to speak about Moses. There's always a starting point. A seed thought, a seed thought that we ought to take captive, and we need to ask ourselves sometimes where the seed thoughts come from. Well, going back to our passage in Ephesians, we realize that the seed thoughts are coming from somewhere else. There's another force at work. There's another power at work. And our minds, I think our minds are like seed beds. Okay? You know what it's like? I've been trying to do some work in my garden, dealing with the weeds and you get it all cleared, and it's all sitting lovely and looking great and fertile and ready to receive plants, and what pops up? More weeds. Our minds are like seed beds, and for some reason, we seem to be able to develop the weedy-type thoughts much more easily than the good, wholesome thoughts. So two people, there's a beginning. Click, please, Sophie. And they begin to talk against... And now there's an unwitting victim. His name is Moses, who's not present in the conversation. He can't hear. He can't defend himself. Two people begin to talk and begin to talk against someone else. And then, click, there's the presenting reason or cause. Let me read it again. Has the Lord only spoken through Moses? Hasn't he also spoken through us? What's going on here? There's a wee challenge going on here. And there's the reason which is presented on the surface. Well, I've just read the underlying reason. What I meant to read was the wee bit before that. They began to talk against Moses because of his wife, an Ethiopian wife, who he married. He married this girl when he was on the run from Moses. That was what was on the surface. That was, that was the presenting reason. That was the gripe about Moses. Sorry, have I missed something here? What? 
Oh, Moses was running from Pharaoh. He wasn't running from himself. Okay, thank you. You can always tell when you've said something wrong, can't you? It's like the body language just changes and goes, ha <laughs> look at you. I don't know. I'm just getting a bit tongue-tied today. My apologies. But there's that reason which presents on the surface. Um, but the underlying reason is, hasn't he also spoken through us? And, and that is really, really challenging. And I'll tell you why it's challenging. I'll tell you why. I wish I had read this. And I wish I had heard this message many, many years ago. Because it might have stopped me from thinking some of the things that I've thought over the years. I might have stopped seeds from developing into plants that were hard to root out. It might have helped me to identify that the thing that really annoys me about the other person, that thing which presents on the surface, isn't the real reason for the problem that there's something deeper underneath, and there very often is something deeper underneath. And so you live and you learn. Always learning. Always learning to look at what's behind. Point six is that God hears. Point seven, God acts in the situation. And I think to myself, what can we learn from this? Slide 15, please, Sophie. Our enemy is crafty, subtle, unseen, and wise. And the devil knows which buttons to press. And we need to watch out for him. We need to be aware. We need to be alert to what's grown up within the seedbed of our minds. Thoughts about other people in the church, this church, other churches, brothers and sisters. I don't think Moses, uh, uh, Miriam and Aaron were aware of what was going on until God brought them in and challenged them. And then Aaron says, ah, pennies dropped. I realize what we've been doing. And division has small, sometimes in conspicuous beginnings, a little thought, an idea, a tiny seed, something that's discordant. And I'll tell you, as I stand here right now, I could keep you here all day with examples from my own weaknesses. And from the times where I look back and think, I wish I hadn't thought that or said that. But the encouragement is not to look at the speaker and all his faults, okay? Because we could open it up to the floor and we could all have a confession time together, eh? And I'm sure we could all share examples of when we've realized pennies dropped. Shouldn't have been saying that. Shouldn't have been doing that. The encouragement that I bring to each of us is that we examine our own hearts. Point three, Sophie. Be careful when you're talking about other people because what is innocent can easily develop into gossip. Gossip is defined as casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people. Unconstrained. There's no limitations on it. 
I don't know about you, but it happens with me when I get annoyed with something. And you just go, rah, 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 and you just rant and let off, and, and you go, senseless, ignorant. And you say a whole bunch of things that you don't mean to say. Unconstrained conversation or reports. But gossip can then develop into backbiting, and that's even worse. And it's defined as malicious talk about someone who is not there. Poor Moses. He's not present. Aaron and Miriam. Look at him. Who does he think he is? The big man leading the people through the desert. What about us? God spoke to us too. Nobody's listening to me. A little seed thought. We need to be careful that it doesn't turn into unconstrained conversation. That the unconstrained conversation doesn't go to a place of being malicious talk. Why are we saying all this? Because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against a spiritual enemy. And often we experience things at this personal level and don't see that behind it there's something spiritual going on. This is how Jesus feels about this. Slide 16, please, Sophie. But I tell you that men will have to give account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. Is there anybody in here, stick your hand up, who's never said a careless word? Right, okay, now you just told a fib as well. Okay. <laughs> We're all in the same boat. We're all in it together. There's not one of us can say, I've mastered it, let me do the sermon. Well, I have to do the sermon because that's what you pay me to do. But, but none of us are in that place where we've got it all together. And we can say and point the finger at somebody else. The only person who can do that is Jesus himself. And it says that he will be the judge. He will be the judge at the end of the day. There's coming a day where we'll stand before God. And this, this just blows my mind that I will stand before the guy who created me, the God who created me. I will stand before him and give an account of my life. And guess what? I'll be standing on my own. You will be standing on your own. You won't be able to say, I, it, was, it was the woman, it was her fault. Because the woman will not be standing there. Only you before God, giving an account. Point four, Sophie. But equally, we've not to entertain gossip about another person in the church. And my encouragement is that we be careful how we listen. Be careful how we listen. Sometimes I've overheard conversations in all spheres of life, and I just think, I wish I had never heard that. I wish I could unlearn that. I wish I could unhear that. Sometimes I hear people being judged, and I think to myself, I don't know if that's the full picture. I don't know if that's the full story. And so we have a responsibility not just about the things that we say, but the things that we listen to. And to point out in somebody else when they're doing something like that, feel free 
if you think I'm out of order to say, I don't think you should be saying that about that person. Feel free. You have an open invitation to challenge me if the things which I'm saying are out of order. But I equally would like to think I had the opportunity to say to you, actually, I think you've just gone a wee bit too far there. I'll try and be nice about it because I like to try and be nice about things. There's a right way and a wrong way to deal with our differences. Uh, Point five, please, Sophie. There's a right way and a wrong way. The right way is to pray, to talk to God with an open heart and wait for God to speak. And then to talk to the person. Don't talk to somebody else unless you first talked to God. Because the chances are you'll go in your own strength, you'll go with your own ideas, and you'll muck it up. But we need to be open to hear what God would say in situations. Point six is that there's often a second cause. Often an evil enemy of the church at work in an unseen way. There's almost always something underneath the surface, which there's the presenting reason, and then there's the real stuff that's underneath. And so there's a great necessity for discernment and distinguishing between spirits and the church, one of the gifts of the spirit that we read about in Corinthians. And surely, point seven, the the antidote to division in the house of God is humility. Each of us needs to take that position of humility before each other. We thought just a few weeks ago about Jesus coming and washing the disciples' feet. He even washed Judas' feet, the person who was going to betray him, who had already in his heart betrayed him. And then Jesus takes this incredible position of humility before his disciples and gives us an example of how we should respond in all sorts of situations. Why am I saying all this? Because I believe as a church that we're in a place where God is calling us to move forward. And when we begin to take those steps and move forward, the enemy will bring opposition. And we'll be so busy scanning the horizon that we'll miss what's happening right next to us. We'll miss the fact that opposition can come from within. And I've seen it firsthand in this church. Many, many years ago, um, we had an incredible outreach down in the main street in the miners' welfare, I think it was. Um, Andrew's probably made mention of this, that you know, it was, an, it was an incredible night. I remember being there, it was an incredible night. And the appeal was made after the gospel message and nobody responded which was really, really strange. But then what we realized was going to happen afterwards, and we look back on it now, is that there was a, a split in the church. So this church was split down the middle, split in half, and there was separation. And the plans and purposes of God, the plans to bring us together, the plans to move us forward, were frustrated, but they were frustrated from inside the church. We didn't need an enemy to come in from outside and do it for us. We did it ourselves in the church. That's why I'm saying this. 
because I believe this is what God wants us to share in the life of the church just now, but I'm saying it because I've seen it happen so many times that as we begin to move forward, then the opposition comes. So let's be, let's be aware, let's be alert. The Bible talks in this passage about the devil's schemes. We'll come on to talk about that, his schemes, but let's recognize right at the start that his way of getting in can be to sow little seeds in the seedbeds of our mind. The Bible says this in Proverbs 4.23, you'll be familiar with it, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Are we willing to invite the Holy Spirit to examine our hearts? Are we willing to listen to the Holy Spirit's assessment? Are we willing to do something about it? And are we willing to confess what is revealed to us? I wonder if we can stand and the musicians could come back up, please. Let's just bow our heads and be still in God's presence before we go any further. Father, we recognize that our enemy is not each other, but Father, our enemy is a spiritual enemy. And Father, we pray that you just open up our, our understanding, open up our understanding to really grasp what you are speaking into the life of this church today. Father, that you'd help us to grasp that your heart and purpose is for this church to move forward. And Father, we pray that you'd help us to see very quickly the things which would stop us from making progress. Father, the things which would take us apart, which would uh, get in between us as brothers and sisters in the church. Father, that you'd uh, highlight those things into our hearts, that we would see them and that you'd give us wisdom in them and that you would give us clear thoughts as to how to deal with what we're seeing and understanding. Father, we recognize that everyone's at different stages in their Christian life and faith. And Father, we ask that you would take us deeper into understanding who you are, deeper into understanding the truth that is Jesus. For he has said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, help us to recognize that he also is the way. Father, the way for us to not only be saved, but Father, the way for us to move forward and to press into the things of God in this church. And so, Father, we pray that you would come and that you would stir us up. Father, that you would stir us up to uh, see the things which we need to sort out in our own lives. So, Father, we pray, bring revelation. Father, we pray that it would not be in our own strength and in our own wisdom. But Father, through the strength and the wisdom and the understanding that you would give us through your Spirit. Father, help us not to uh, help us not to, to remain at this place today in this message, but Father, to move on into the things which you uh, plan for us. Not to get stuck in this, but Father, to be aware. Father, just to, to have that alertness in our spirits, if I can put it that way. Father, that we might know your purposes and plans, that we might know when the opposition comes. So, Father, we pray, just open up our eyes, open up our ears, and, Father, give us wisdom in all of these things we ask. Mm.
Father, we pray that you come and that you'd examine our hearts. Father, that you examine, examine my heart. And Father, that you point out anything which is contrary to your will and purpose. Father, our heart's desire really is that we walk in purity and in wholeness and in life. Father, walking in harmony with each other. Father, so that when we speak, we speak as one voice. And so, Father, we just pray, bless this congregation. Father, even those who can't be with us today, Lord, many uh, seats which are empty of people who uh, love you and know you and are part of this fellowship. Father, those who can't be with us for health reasons, Lord, we pray that your hand would be upon them and that you bless them, that you would bring healing into the bodies. And, Father, bring them back in to fellowship here on a Sunday. And, Father, we just pray that your hand would rest upon them. Father, we pray that you'd help us, give us wisdom in all the things that we've considered today. In Jesus' name, amen.